1: spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom
0: it's time for the down and nerdy podcast here's your host james Witham.
1: who's ready for a little crime on the cape it's episode 389 of the down and nerdy podcast i'm james Witham, and yeah if you've been watching high town on stars you know exactly What I'm talking about, well, the show comes back for its second season this Sunday, and I couldn't wait to talk to some members of the cast about that. You'll hear those interviews here coming up in a second, but man, there are a ton of reviews this week, a quadruple review week. We've got Batwoman coming back, got DC's Legends of Tomorrow coming back, the I Know What You Did Last Summer series, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video, and I wanted to talk about Ghosts from Paramount+. Plus as well so that that's gonna talk about all of those shows plus i'm gonna try and work in some nerd news as well because you know we're not clearly not talking about enough on the show this week but hey i teased it let's do it let's talk to the cast of high town from stars about season two we'll do that next on the down and nerdy podcast
2: hey this is hale appleman from the magicians and you are listening to the down and nerdy podcast
1: Great White is on the loose, and I'm not talking about just in the water. Season 2 of Hightown from Stars premieres this Sunday, and I get a chance to sit down with a few members of the cast, key members of the cast, to try and tell you what to expect for this upcoming season. As a matter of fact, we're going to start out with Atkins Estiman, who plays Osito, oh yeah, you remember Osito from last season, right? And Don Norwood, who plays Alan Santiel, who might have a little bit of a different role in this season, so let's talk to the guys and see how much they'll tell us about season two. Don Atkins, gentlemen, how you doing?
2: Hey. Good, how are you?
1: Pretty good, pretty good. Well, I mean, I think as far as your characters go, one of you's good, the other one, not so much. Feels like you guys are a bit on the opposite ends of the spectrum to start the season, so give us a quick tease, both of you, of where your characters are at as we get started here.
3: Shortly after Frankie is released, I'm having to take on all that that is and all how the community is impacted with uh, sort of the big bad guy being on the loose as well as trying to build a relationship with someone I feel is a, a great asset to try to uh, take him down.
2: Yes so I essentially we find me I'm um, uh, you know at the end of the season I've been shot I'm in the hospital I've healed up somewhat and uh, I am uh, locked up now and I am in a very vulnerable position I, I don't know who I can trust I don't know where the enemies are is a very different area for him compared to season one.
1: No doubt about that. I think that's an understatement. And you guys will see yeah. that soon yeah. enough. So, from what I've seen, and well, from what fans will see, I love the scenes that you guys have together. I love the tension there. So, how much did you guys kind of enjoy working together a little bit more this season? And why do you think your characters just play off of each other so well?
3: I think the ju- juxtaposition of their, their you know, hierarchy and, and the social structure, you know, there's the great scene we had at the house when we go to arrest him finally, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get to make a lot of jokes and, and and make light of things. And we see an extension of all of that. My demeanor towards uh, Osito and how I genuinely feel about him and, and what he's doing and my hope to be able to turn things around, uh, not just for uh, the community, but for him. You know, I think uh, Alan really would like to see or see to become someone else that he's a obviously a leader and and has um, certain skills and that if he were to bring him to you know the good side of the forest <laughs> then maybe he'd be a, a strong even stronger asset you know
2: i feel like you know the the, the moments are so good because they're like Alan was saying that just the characters and, and their wants are so so opposite of each other and also, another element to, to think about is that both of us are Haitian. We both have a Haitian background, but Alan's character clearly walks the right way. You know, he walks the line and he does things by the book and he's a quote unquote good guy. I am not. So, or at least my character is. <laughs> so I feel like for him, there's also that element of, you know, you're making us look bad, you know, like, why can't you be a better person? So, with that, all of that in mind, it's just like such a rich bed of things to choose from, to, to, to pick on, and to to play with. And and I think that we really just had fun with it in, in every scene and every interaction you had with us. And, and it really birthed some great moments.
1: You really, really did. So Atkins, for you, we know the Cuevas family kind of has a history of tying up loose ends. Aceto would know that better than anybody. So it should. how worried should he be? And could it make him a bit desperate?
2: I think he should be very worried. (laughs) And I think that there is certainly some desperation there. I mean, Frankie, when he was locked up, still had a lot of power and a lot of influence. And now he's free. So if anything, he's even more dangerous. And I'm in the opposite position where I'm confined. I'm in a space where I can't escape. So I think that there is definitely a lot of stake, a lot on the table. And he's a smart guy and he, he very much has read the situation for what it
1: is. Don, really quickly, we know Jackie's moving up in the world as well. You're gonna be working with her a little bit more. So does Don kind of feel like she's an asset, a liability, could it be a little bit of both?
3: Definitely a little bit of both. She kind of seesaws uh, back and forth between becoming a liability or an asset. She's a loose cannon and, and he knows it, but he's really hoping to again, sort of mentor her as well and lead her to the right way of doing things that she can see potentially that if she's patient and diligent and was better than uh, you know sort of maybe undermining your case by going uh, outside of the lines
1: and you guys will see how it all shakes out when season two of Hightown comes back to stars on october the 17th that is a sunday don atkins gentlemen thank you so much for your time i appreciate it
3: thank you thank you
1: you want to talk about somebody who had it rough at the end of season one and likely going into season two and that's ray so i wanted to ask james Baggio, who plays ray just how rough things are going to be for Ray to start out this season and some other stuff, too. Maybe some surprises in store. Let's see what he has to say. What's up, James? What's up, James? How you doing, man?
4: I'm living a living the life, man. How you doing?
1: Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Yeah. So it's obvious that Ray not doing so good after the way it last season ended. So kind of give us an idea how bad are things for him as the second season starts.
4: Oh, Ray, Ray's, Ray's finding himself like he's dealing with the repercussions of all his actions. Ray's in a hole, he's holding the shovel, and he's looking up. The question is, is he going get, to get out of it, or is he going to keep digging himself deep?
1: That is a huge question. People are going to find that out soon enough when the, when the show comes back. Now, obviously, Renee was a big part of that downfall, but also a big part of his happiness in a way, too, as well. So whether he wants to be or not, how much is he still kind of consumed by her?
4: He, he'd tell you he's not consumed by her, but the truth is, What's Ray thinking about? You know, what's Ray thinking about? Ray's thinking about Renee. So there is that obsession there. In in some ways, that's uh his Achilles heel, and in other ways it might be a saving grace.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Now we know that Ray and Jackie are pretty close, but a lot's changed in both of their lives. We're gonna find that out when the season returns October the seventh on October the seventeenth. Could we kind of see their bond grow stronger or do you think it's gonna be put to the test this season?
4: I think you got a lot of both. I think any relationship that's put to the test if you can if you can come out the other side you've grown stronger and and i think ray and jackie are two you know they're kind of like star-crossed souls you know it's uh it's they're 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 very similar they they might not acknowledge it or talk about it openly but they're they're kind of the same people in some ways dealing with different things in different circumstances but uh (laughs) You know the the relationship between Ray and Jackie. I, I just have so much fun. I have so much fun working with Monica. We have so much fun playing with this relationship because it is new and it's different and it's weird and and it's uh it's true. There's no there's no BS in that.
1: Absolutely, very well put. Well put. Now there's a pretty big reveal involving Renee early on the season. We're not going to spoil it. I know you can't say a whole lot about it. Yeah. But let me ask you this: What was your reaction? When you found out where this story was going and how excited are you for fans to learn about it because it's pretty big
4: uh yeah that's one of those oh shit moments
1: uh-huh <laughs> big time
4: um, oh shit! okay like i said I, I love this season it's it's shakespearean you know the stakes are stakes are extremely high renee's storyline especially it, it kind of enters into that lady Macbeth kind of world
1: oh that's such a that's such a good comparison well done mm-hmm. I, I love that love that now before i let you go james we know that Ray wants nothing more than get his job back with the state police. Just how far do you think he's going to go to be able to make that a reality?
4: Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. Cause I think that's the other side of Ray here's, here's a man who's obsessed with Renee, but he's also obsessed with his job, you know? And I think uh, as an actor, I can relate to that. I, I believe you could relate to that. Any, any, any of us who kind of love what we do, it becomes who we are and it's not a job anymore. And if it, that's stripped away from you, you don't know who you are anymore. You know gray's a guy who has sacrificed everything for his job and and i don't necessarily say that in a good way i think he sacrificed his relationship with his his, his son his his ex-wife his family um he sacrificed friendships and with that obsession he's also ended up ruining his own job so it's um it, it's interesting just to, to watch him claw his way back
1: that is spot on man you guys are going to see that happening when high time returns for a second season Sunday, October the seventeenth, on Stars. James Badgedale, Thank you so much, man, for your time. Appreciate yeah, it. Dude. Thanks, James. I'll tell you one of the things I really love about High Town are these characters. You can really get attached to quite a few of them on both sides too, because I mean the villains are pretty pretty intense. You've got Amore Nolasco, and then you've got Luis Guzman joining these this season as well. Oh, it gets really intense, and and the investigation. There's so many moving parts. To the show that I just love so much. Season two of High Town premiering Sunday, October the seventeenth on Stars. Oh, you're not gonna wanna miss it, trust me. Once again, thanks to the cast members of High Town for joining me to talk about season two this week. Up next, oh, it's time for a review Palooza. We're gonna start with season three premiere the season three premiere of Batwoman. Next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, yo, this is Cameron Johnson from the cast of Batwoman, and you are listening to the Down and Dirty Podcast. Our review palooza starts in Gotham. It's the season three premiere of Batwoman. And yeah, I got to go spoilers here because, hey, let's face it, it's been a few days since it aired. You want to talk about spoilers, and we're going to do that. So, again, I'm not going to break down every single element of the episode. You know, Ryan Wilder is Batwoman now, whether you like it or not. She is, we've also got Batwing, Luke Fox is officially Batwing, and we finally get the name in this episode, which I thought was really, really cool, and we've got a lot going on with Alice as well, but I want to start with Mad Hatter, because we do get Mad Hatter in this episode, but it's not Jervis Tetch, it's somebody else completely, but plays the role pretty well. He actually is an Alice fanboy, which I thought was an interesting angle to go with, and it, it really, really worked out and the having the hat be more of a tech piece than anything else, I thought was also really interesting. But the main theme of the season is the hunt is on basically for the stolen Batman or should I say missing Batman trophies. And we see a bunch of them at the beginning of this episode, Mad Hatter's hat, being one, So that's basically it's almost gonna be like a Legends of Tomorrow esque season for Batwoman, if you think about it, because they're always trying to track down some sort of anomaly in the timeline and it's a weekly thing and it seems like this is going to be a weekly thing as well although we're also going to get the season long arc of now what looks like an Alice and Batwoman team up thanks to Renee Montoya but let's just face it and I understand okay why some people don't like Ryan Wilder as Batwoman she she's still kind of sketchy and I understand that and maybe that's not what you're looking for in in your Batwoman, but basically Ryan screws herself in in this episode. And she continues to make mistakes, which you kind of expect her to make mistakes because she's still early on in her herodom. So but she makes a deal with Alice saying, hey, if you help us with, with Matt Hatter, we'll let you go. You can run. And then of course she doesn't exactly do that. And I know that you what you're thinking is, hey went. Batman would never make that deal. Well, most villains would know that even if Batman tried to make that deal, that he was lying, so they would go back on that anyway. But the thing is that Alice is in a very fragile place because she thinks her dad's communicating with her. She's in a very... I mean, her mental state already isn't great anyway, but now it's really, really not great. But Alice isn't stupid either. When you back her into a corner, when you think when she thinks that she's in the most trouble, that's when she is the most clear mentally and she outs Ryan to Renee Montoya and kind of forces this partnership that basically does get her out of Arkham at least in the short term anyway to track down these Batman trophies so I mean the the dynamics of what's going to be happening with that are going to be super super interesting I think going forward this season, because you, you obviously Mary hates, bat, Mary hates Alice probably more than anybody on the team. Alice is also holding the whole thing over Ryan's head about her mom being alive. And I guess we kind of see her mom at the end of the episode, or at least that's the implication anyway. So what we're doing here is we're creating a lot of interesting dynamics throughout this season. But the one thing that we're not doing... Is letting go of Kate Kane, and I think that's a mistake. As much as I would love Kate Kane to be a part of this show, you're either gonna be all in or all out. And if you chose Ryan Wilder, which I mean you kinda of didn't, you you sort of knew that was gonna be the plan going forward, regardless of what happened with Wallace Day, who did a great job with as Kate last season. You're one foot in and one foot out, and that's really not working. To forward the story. We get to see that little thing about, you know, Kate sending a gift to Mary for her graduation, which was nice. And, you know, that's what sisters do. But at the same time, you're hanging on to this tiny little Easter egg of a thread of Kate Kane still being out there. And that really kind of gives the fans who want Kate Kane as Batwoman hope that that's going to happen again. And you're not giving Ryan Wilder the fair shake to actually take the reins of the show, quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. So I would like to see the show just make a decision as to who is going to be their Batwoman. And I get it. It's just an Easter egg. It's just a little name on a piece of paper but and a couple references when, in regards to Sophie and her love life. I get that. But you clearly m- made your choice. It's going to be Ryan Wilder. Every reference to Kate Kane, to me sets that back because you're never really going to get maybe you feel like you're not going to get those fans anyway maybe you're just giving up on them entirely but you're never really going to get fans reeled back in to the show that might be out of the show right now until you make a commitment to ryan wilder and see where it goes it's either going to be fantastic and you'll get exactly what you want out of it, or it's going to fail miserably. And in which case you're going to get canceled anyway. It's not like you can go to the network and say, whoa, 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 don't cancel us. We'll bring Kate Kane back. No, that's not how it works. So you're either going to go Ryan Wilder, you're going to go Kate Kane, or you're going to be gone either way. You've got to make a commitment you and clearly you've made your choice. So let's just do this thing and let's see this through. You've now made it personal between Ryan and Alice. It was already kind of personal. Now it's really personal. And it's Ryan's fault, by the way, which makes that an even more interesting thing because now Ryan has to deal with the consequences of her actions and hopefully learn from that. So you've got a double redemption thing going on. You've got redemption for Ryan and Alice at the same time. And whether you want Alice to be redeemed or you think she should be, maybe is one of the interesting talking points Of This season as well, but that's what you needed to do. It was always going to be personal between Kate and Alice. How are you going to make it personal between Alice and Ryan? You tried the whole she killed her mom thing. Clearly that didn't work out. Now you've made it personal. And this is maybe what was missing from that dynamic other than, you know, the hero versus the villain aspect of the whole thing. So going forward keeping an eye on Batwoman. We're keeping an eye on Luke Fox and his journey into being a hero and being a very freaked out hero, by the way. And maybe dad's going to be in the helmet to help him out from now on. Maybe dad's going to be his Jarvis inside the Batwing suit. That would be pretty cool. Mary's a legit doctor now. There's a lot of things to follow and like about this season of Batwoman, but I need that commitment that you're going to stick with Ryan Wilder from now on and just see where it goes is it risky yeah it's risky but you need to not have one foot out one foot in on who is the true Batwoman who's going to be the lead of this show so I get the easter eggs I don't think they're helping you you're not going to convince it's not a way to get fans to you shouldn't forget Kate Kane but in the context of this show she's not Batwoman anymore and she's not going to be so stop making references to her and having some fans hold out hope that someday she's going to return to the cow that's going to do it for my review of the batwoman season three premiere up next ah the legends are back as well. well talk about dc's legends of tomorrow next on the down and nerdy podcast
2: this is matt ryan from constantine city of demons and you are listening to the down and nerdy podcast
1: Time to find out what sort of timeline troubles we'll be getting into this season. It's season seven of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. The premiere happened this past Wednesday. Let's talk about it. Filled with spoilers, of course. So here's the deal. The evil wave rider, and that's what I'm calling it, because that that's yeah, I've I've seen that on social media. I like it. Let's just go with that. So, right away, again, very big spoilers here, the wave rider gets blown up right in the beginning of this episode right when and this is this always happens to the legends right you finally feel like you won you can relax enjoy a victory and your time ship blows up and it's in 1925 too by the way so fast forward again not going to go into every little bit of this episode they're stuck there they have to figure out a way to a get out and b not too much do too much damage to the timeline how does that usually work out For the legends, the whole not do damage to the timeline thing. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't. So, again, the hijinks ensue. They have to pretend they're in a a circus, which is always really entertaining. But also, there's some friction in the group, right? Because Spooner's like, hey, it's already hard enough for my mom in 1925 being an immigrant who owns property and, by the way, is a healer. Yeah, that's not easy for her. You're bringing all this attention to her. We got to get out of here. And then you've got Astra, who's still trying to find her place on the team. And this episode is really a lot more than I thought about John leaving the team, about Constantine not being anymore and there anymore, and trying to fill that role. You see Astra doing that as well. I mean, big time. Astra is trying to be that replacement for John. And then everybody kind of realizes that you know John is not a replaceable figure on the team. He's still kind of helping. You know, he gave, he did give Zari that key, which turned out to be the pocket dimension, which I thought was really, really fun. And that was very helpful. And, of course, Zari dealing with John being gone as well. But in true Legends fashion, this show is a series of screw-ups that leads to an eventually snowballing problem. Every season of DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and this is not a criticism starts out very similar, where it starts out with the snowball, right? You know, just picture a regular-sized snowball at the top of a very large hill. And the first episode is us putting the snowball on the top of the hill and giving it a little push, and then watching the snowball grow into the giant snow boulder of problems. That is what DC's Legends of Tomorrow does so well to start off its season that they basically create their own problems, not completely, because obviously it's not like they wanted to blow up their ship. They didn't do that. But everything after that is the almost comedy of errors of how they kind of get themselves into these messes in the first place. And then you get to have Ava freaking out that they're screwing up the timeline. You get to have Sarah trying to calm her down. And they just are such a great yin and yang for each other still. That relationship to me just never gets old and one of the best parts about this show and everybody gets to do their thing, right? You got Gary being Gary, you've got Bearhard being Bearhard. Zari's doing her thing. Everybody's got their place on the team. What I didn't realize though is that how tight Astra and Spooner really were. I mean I knew that there was a budding friendship there, but they you know we get to see just how much of a friendship that they're that they're getting on this on this show and on this team and you know they're the two newer members of the team so gravitating towards each other isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world and it's it's not the it's it's pretty smart if you want to think about it but basically now they are on their way to try and figure out how they can travel back in time this is a very back to the future esque way of telling this story like when Marty McFly gets stuck in 1955 he's got to go find the doc Because the doc is the one person that can help him possibly get back to 1985, right? Well, now the legends are going to find going to New York in theory. We'll see how long it takes them to get there and how difficult that's going to be to try and find the one person who might be able to help them travel back to their time. And then once they ultimately do that, fix everything. So there are some parallels here. To Back to the Future, which I don't hate because I love Back to the Future and I love the franchise. And it's obviously not being done exactly the same. By the way, the Bullet Blondes, love that name. I could get a spin-off of Bullet Blondes right now and be happy. I'm just saying. And I love how the Guggenheim name was thrown in there. That was a nice Easter egg in the episode. That was pretty fun too. But that's exactly it with this show. And that's why it's so hard to review DC's Legends of Tomorrow, because you're not really asking for much from the show other than to be completely wacky, off the wall, a comedy of errors, and just fun. That's all you really need from DC's Legends of Tomorrow. The pressure is so off of this show, right? Yes, there still has to be an interesting story, but they deliver that. And now we've got Gideon, Who's going to be thrown into the mix as well? Gideon, human Gideon for the first time. Per, as a well, Not the first time because, of course, we've seen Gideon in human form before. But this is going to be more of a permanent thing, or at least it's going to be for this season, Amy Pemberton joining the cast as a series regular now. So how that's going to manifest is really interesting. What's their travel trip going to be like to New York? How long is it going to take them to get there? Well, if, if and when they can travel back, What's the process going to be like and how much of the timeline are they going to have to fix? Those are all things that you take for granted because you just want the show to be fun. But then while the show is being fun, in the background, they're creating this really interesting story with a great set of characters, by the way, an ensemble cast that they do not really leave anyone behind as far as pushing them into the corner. Like you're not important. Everybody has their role to play and everybody gets their chance to have a little bit of the spotlight in each episode which is not easy to do, by the way. So this show operates well, and it really, really is what it is, and it knows what its identity is. And not only does it hang on to that with both hands, it quietly creates an interesting story for us to follow too. So yet another successful premiere as far as I'm concerned for DC's Legends of Tomorrow. And hey, I'm just like you. I'm just along for the ride at this point. That's going to do it from our review of the Season 7 premiere of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Up next, we're going to be jumping into the world of I Know What You Did Last Summer. The new Amazon series version is up next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
4: That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing
2: to become New York's King of the Egg Cream.
4: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: My name is Bo Smith, I'm the creator of Wine Owner Earth, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: It's a reboot fitting of Halloween month. It is I Know What You Did Last Summer, the series version, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. And I got to say, I'm only going to be talking about the first four episodes here, and I'm going to do it spoiler free because, you know, the show just landed. I'm not going to be that guy that thinks you woke up at three o'clock in the morning East Coast and started watching it. Okay, so we're just going to kind of dance around and tease around the first four episodes, and I will say this, it's very much a modern update on the story that you know and love, but there's some twists to this story, too, that make it a little bit different. Now, first of all, I will tell you this, and I don't really think this is a spoiler, and that is that Madison Eisman is pulling double duty. She's going to be playing the roles of Lennon and Allison, which she does a fantastic job with by the way. But I got to say, the, the, before I get into any more of the characters and anything like that, this series really hinges on your reaction to the huge twist in the first episode. I'm just going to tell you that. There is there is a big, big twist in the first episode that changes everything, to, to me, everything about this story, quite frankly. And it sets up so many things. And you no, know, we can't talk about it because of how huge it is. It's a major spoiler that I'm not going to give you. But how you react to that moment and what's involved in that moment will set you up for how you're going to feel about the rest of the show. Because it's going to, it's going to matter to, to see, basically, because so many stories piggyback off of that, obviously. But there's also certain decisions that characters make that you have to decide, you know, how much that impacts you. Like Bill Heck's character of Bruce has has a huge decision to make at one point, and and you're gonna have to decide how much what happens affects your reaction to the decision that he makes, and how much maybe that fires you up or maybe you don't care, sort of thing. So everything hinges on one big moment. And to me, that's a big risk. That's either gonna pay off really big for Amazon in this series, or it's gonna be one of those things that tunes people out right away. I I think that I'm not saying it's all or nothing, because I think you could say, oh, well, the twist is okay. I'm still in it to find out, you know who the mystery is. Cause obviously there's still a killer on the loose and you want to find out if you can figure out who the killer is and things like that. And, and there's certainly some interpersonal stories here between these characters that are all friends. Some of them have known each other since kindergarten. So that's interesting. Some of the parents are really weird. and there's clearly stuff going on there and I gotta tell you there's one character I couldn't quite figure out and she'll definitely keep you a little off balance and that's Cassie Beck's character of Courtney who is about one of the more unorthodox characters that you're gonna meet in a show like this I can't really go into more detail than that but when you meet her she's very in your face She's very, I don't think unorthodox is really quite the word, but it's the only one I can come up with right now. Unconventional, maybe let's go with unconventional. And you feel like she, you know, maybe she's not a huge factor in the story, but she's certainly one of those characters that, that makes you think. And certainly, you know, if you're, if you're get, getting a list of suspects, maybe she's one of them for you. I, I've got a couple of theories. You know, at the same time in in these first few episodes, but I can't spill them because that would involve spoilers. But really, the second thing that this show really w- will hinge on, as far as whether or not you're going to dig it, is how you feel about these care how these characters interact with each other. Like, there's obviously characters you're probably not going to be able to stand them. Okay, and I totally understand that. Like Margot Margot's character or Bri- Brianna Brianna Jew, who I just could not stand Margot's character. No offense no offense to Brienne, by the way, who does a great job in the role, just couldn't stand the character, right? And and that's kind of what you want in a show like this too, right? You want the characters that you root for, the characters that you can't quite figure out, and the characters that you can't stand in a show like this where you say, well, you know, I really hope they get theirs at some point. And I'm not saying that I feel that way about Margot. I'm just saying I didn't realize, I, you know, she drove me a little bit nuts. And it's it's how some of these characters just kind of make you wonder if there's more to them than meets the eye. And that's the other thing about this show is that even if a character might seem ordinary at first, you're going to probably learn something about them that they're not ordinary. Or maybe you thought there was something unordinary or unorthodox about a character. And it turns out they were more normal than some of the characters that appeared normal. So this is definitely a show that... To, to me anyway, it kept me intrigued. It kept me guessing. And I, I do love that, at least in the first four episodes anyway, as far as I've gone, it's not going heavy on gore, which I think is really, really important in a show like this. Yes, maybe you, maybe you love your gore in horror, but that's not exactly this show's wheelhouse. I don't feel like it needs to do that to get your attention are there some you know eye popping moments yeah sure there there absolutely are a couple of eye popping moments but it it doesn't get to the point of over the top so if that's the kind of thing that turns you off in a horror series or horror movies this show will not fall victim to that at least not in the first few episodes anyway so there there's plenty to keep your eye on here for sure there's a lot of characters that have a lot of unlikable qualities, but you might find yourself rooting for them anyway. And there's one in particular who, who again, I can't give you who it is because of the, it will reveal one of the big spoilers. This is the problem with doing these spoiler free is that I have to kind of, you know, do a little dance that you guys can't see because this is audio and I'm not doing it and I'm not showing you video here, but you know, you do the little dance of trying not to reveal the stuff that they ask you not to reveal and then you sit here listening to me like going like, "Well, what the hell?" Well, when you watch it, you'll understand exactly who I'm talking about and what I'm saying. The whole point is I want you to watch it and judge for yourself and see if you agree with what I'm saying. So, what I'm telling you is is that this show has a lot of a lot going on for it. It doesn't lean too hard into the young adult teenager aspect of things. Of course, this is happening at all of their graduations and that's when the accident Occurs so, so there is a little bit of a teenage life spin to this show, but it's not heavy leaning into that. There are some aspects of that type of a story that are going to make these characters annoy you a bit if you're a bit older. So, I I will definitely tell you that. That's that was one of the factors for me, but that's also kind of the point of the story. Actually, if you're younger, some of these characters might annoy you too because they might remind you of somebody that you know right now or remind you of somebody that you did know or or remind you of somebody that you try to avoid at all costs. And I totally understand that, but uh, you know, at any age, I think that these characters could kind of remind you of somebody that you knew. So I do think the show does a good job with that. Overall, I thought that this was a really solid first few episodes of this first season. And I definitely see how this could work a lot better as a series than as a movie because it allows you to add a little bit more detail and a little bit more intrigue to this. So I feel like like lengthening the story out a bit does not make it so there's too much, if that makes sense. So instead of being a, an hour and a half movie where you got to kind of zip through things, this thing is actually more long form, and I think that you benefit from that more than that being something that works against the series. So I know what you did last summer, NASH streaming, on Amazon Prime Video, give it a shot for yourself and see what you think. That's my spoiler-free review of I Know What You Did last summer from Amazon Prime Video. Up next, we'll go to another streaming service to talk about ghosts from Paramount Plus. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This
2: is comic book writer Elliot Hall And Donna Kate And you're listening to the Down
4: and Nerdy Podcast.
1: When seeing dead people becomes a little bit more... Hilarious! You get ghosts from Paramount Plus, which is now streaming. First few episodes are up. I want to do spoilers on the first couple in this review, and then no spoilers after that, just to make sure that you're caught up. But basically, this follows a couple, Samantha and Jay, who are played by Rose McIver in her first, you know, big TV role since *I Zombie*. And you also have Jay, who's played by Utkarsh Ambudkar. And I hope that I got that right. And I'm only going to do that once because I don't want to try and screw it up again. So, by the way, Utkarsh was actually in Free Guy as well and did a fantastic job there, too. So, basically, they inherit a house from a family member of Samantha's that has passed on. And it turns out this house is pretty freaking haunted. And there's a lot of ghosts in there that, you know, all died of various ways. And, you know, some ghosts ascend and some ghosts descend and some ghosts are stuck where they died sort of thing. So you get to see all of these characters, all of these ghosts, where they died. And fast forward to the part where Samantha actually gets an injury and now she could see and hear all of the ghosts in the house and out of the house and, and all over the place. And that kind of adds to the hijinks. Of the show now, basically they wanted to turn this house that they rent that they inherited into a B and B. Samantha and Jay, and now that plan could be going up in smoke. But here's my: the, there were some fun moments of this show. That you, you've got you've got a Thorfinn who's kind of like a Viking character, and there's a whole fish out of water element thing, like he, where he doesn't know where TVs are, and he rips on people that that litter and stuff like that. Keeping in mind that nobody else can see or hear these ghosts and then you've got flower who's your typical you know hippie type character you've got isaac who knew alexander hamilton is pissed off because he didn't become as famous in history as alexander hamilton and he wants to write that wrong after his death here's the thing honestly is that there there are some funny moments in this show not all the jokes land but there are some funny moments my only problem with the show so far in the beginning is there might actually be too many of these ghosts in this house that Samantha's interacting with. And you know how Jay's kind of uneasy about the whole thing too. Like he believes her, doesn't believe her. And then he really starts to believe her more as she starts to kind of prove it. But we're seeing too many characters in what is clearly an ensemble cast. They're, they all have their own little roles that they play And they all present something different comedically. The problem is, is you've got like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine ghosts that I can count off the top of my head that are in this house. And then that's not even counting some of the other random ghosts that even in the first couple of episodes that they encounter. So you can have an ensemble cast, right? And that's not a problem on a comedy series. We've seen that done many, many times, but... When you've got that many ghosts, I feel like you could cut that number in half and still make it just as entertaining. Now, I'm not going to be the guy that tells you who you should, you know, eliminate from these, you know, of these ghosts, because I I, I don't think that, that that's fair. There's none of them that I really particularly look at and go, I could do without that person or that person's just not funny. Like like I think that the the character of Hetty is very funny just because of the way that she interacts with some of the younger characters like Flower on the show and stuff like that. And then Isaac, I think, fills a, a role of being very, very funny as his like Hamilton-esque character. And then you've got Pete who is just, you know, the, he's like Ned Flanders. So there's some there's some funny things that happen there. But at the same time, even though I can't pick which ones I would eliminate... I just think that focusing on a few of them and then, you know, maybe adding more in future seasons, should you, you know, be that lucky, wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world or maybe, you know, some of the, you know, one or two of them ascend for whatever reason. And then they're replaced by other ghosts because, you, you know, there, there's other people that I'm sure died in and around that property and, and, and you know, you can have stuff going on there. But that's my only problem with the show so far is that you, you've got too much going on ghost wise. But other than that, I mean, th- there's definitely, you know, the 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 optimism of Samantha is infectious and how she kind of when, when she first finds out about the ghosts, how she handles that not so great is interesting. And, and there's almost a Beetlejuice ask quality to this show in a way, but not in a different vibe you know there's no sinister stuff going on here not yet anyway you almost feel like that that's coming in a way or that there's got to be some sort of a foil in this other than uh, remember that if you've watched the show the ghosts wanted them out at first they wanted them to leave and now they're kind of making this coexistence pact sort of thing to, to, to try and all live together so the I don't know how sustainable this story is going to be, but I think it's going to rely heavily on Jay and Samantha's relationship and how that goes, but also how well the comedic moments are between the ghost and the living in this series. I think is, is going to be crucial to see if this show has a prayer of lasting beyond what it already is. So, you know, I, I don't love it. I don't hate it. I certainly think that it's it's funny enough that I'm going to keep watching it and see where it goes. But this is also one of those where I'm going, I, I could fall off of this if this starts not being as funny as I want it to be. So if you've watched Ghosts, let me know what you think and we'll and, and we'll maybe revisit this review somewhere around the mid-season part or maybe around the finale and see what I think then. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Ghosts from Paramount+, Plus, which is now streaming. Up next... We'll tackle some nerd news, maybe rewind a little bit to New York Comic Con and get some of the stuff there. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: This is Malcolm Barrett from Timeless, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: When no way home turns to can't go home, it's time for nerd news. Before I get to the Spider-Man news, though, it, there really wasn't much notable news to talk about from New York Comic Con. I, I was getting ready for the show this week. I thought, ah, maybe we'll look back. And then I realized that was a week ago. There was only a couple of minor trailers, some release dates that happened. As a matter of fact, Amazon, I think, dropped most of the news more than anybody. So if you want that news about, like, when The Expanse is coming out, when Hannah Season 3 is going to be happening, stuff like that, which is all great, I just go to nerdypodcast.com. I feel like we're kind of wasting our time talking about that here when there's other stuff that we could be talking about, like Tom Holland possibly being done Playing Spider-Man already? I know, don't freak out just yet, though. This was in a conversation that he had recently with Entertainment Weekly. I'm not going to tell you exactly what the quotes were, but he said there's a particular scene in No Way Home that kind of made him feel like this was the last time that they could all be together and how emotional he was. And he also said that they're treating this movie as the end of the Homecoming trilogy. So let's take that and digest it here for a second. Let's talk about the second part first. Just because this is the end of the Homecoming trilogy doesn't necessarily mean that it's the end of Tom Holland as Spider-Man. That's an overreactionary type of thing, right? You you could just be saying, okay, we made these movies as a trilogy and now it's time to move on. And he talks about going into new chapters in their careers and things like that, but again, doesn't necessarily mean that they're done. It could just be a new chapter for Spider-Man because he was a coming of age Spider-Man in these movies, right? So maybe we're going to see a more, you know, now he can actually be your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and actually be the protector that he needs to be. Now, depending on how many villains he has to fend off in this No Way Home movie, that's a whole other story and how that goes out. But it also lends a possible credence to my theory that I had months ago on the show where My, Miles Morales would take over as the Spider-Man in the MCU because Peter feels like he can't go back or something along those lines or he's needed somewhere else. So My, Miles Morales would take his place in the universe of the MCU as we know it and he would be the new Spider-Man at least for a short amount of time for foreseeable future, however you want to describe it. And that is all dependent on what happens in No Way Home, obviously. And I would not hold out hope that Tobey Maguire comes back as Peter Parker permanently, or even Andrew Garfield, if you enjoyed what he did as Spider-Man, and I know that you probably didn't, but just go with me on this. Wouldn't hold out hope for that. I, w- I wouldn't even say for sure that they're going to be in this movie still. I-, I-, I get it. You know, signs seem to be going in that direction, but but... I I don't want you to set yourself up for disappointment, basically, is what I'm trying to say. But really, I don't know. I think that this is more of a let's try to avoid spoilers and build anticipation type of thing more than anything else. Maybe there is going to be some finality here. And I think given the vibe of this movie, there really will be some finality. So, again, I wouldn't freak out too much about what he said. I would say let's do a wait and see approach, but I mean, at the end of the day, if we get Miles Morales as Spider-Man for a while in the MCU, is that the worst thing in the world? I don't think it is, and it would actually give us something different in, in the Spider-Man film franchise, other than what we got with Into the Spider-Verse, animation-wise, which is amazing, live-action-wise, maybe this is a franchise that just needs to go in a different direction for a little bit and see what happens. But that doesn't mean shelving Peter Parker forever. Maybe it's just for right now, a la my James Bond conversation from last week's show. So we'll kind of have to see where all of this goes. Here's another casting piece of casting news that happened in the MCU, and it was actually confirmed by director James Gunn. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is going to feature Adam Warlock, after all, after the t- the character's been teased... And Will Poulter is actually going to be playing the role. And Gunn actually already kind of confirms, too, that filming's going to begin in a couple of weeks. So let's say, you know, right after Trick or Treat gets over, you know, you get out of your candy coma, you get up and you start filming Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Sound good? Because I I think that sounds pretty good. If you're not really familiar with Adam Warlock, the, the set of powers here... Is kind of all over the place. Other than you know the whole you know super strength, super speed, and you know healing factor sort of thing. A lot of your standard stuff you get from heroes. You know you've got the whole you know, the flight and things like that. But there's also the possibility that this character will have some sort of magical abilities, some sort of quantum magic where he uses the energy energy around him to create some sort of magic and cosmic powers. So again, none of these abilities are actually confirmed for this character in this movie. My, the The reason I'm saying this, I guess, is because there's a lot of different directions that you can go with this character in this movie based on all the iterations. And you know from the Suicide Squad that James Gunn knows how to dig deep in comic lore to find something that he feels like works for him and his movie, so it's not like this is going to be a hard and fast set of powers that you know for sure are going to be there, or even what kind of an Adam Warlock that we're going to get, but you know, Will Poulter is just one of those rising stars that it's it's hard to believe we haven't seen him in a Marvel or DC movie yet, and I think that this is a really good opportunity to bring him into that world, and maybe one of the reasons he had to leave The Lord of the Rings series because he you know you get a chance to join the MCU you don't really pass that up and of course he he's left that series for other filming commitments maybe this was one of the filming commitments that was a part of that so I really can't wait to see Poulter as Adam Warlock I think he's going to do a really good job I think he's really underrated actor and he's going to be maybe one of those kind of characters that could steal the show in a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, we'll have to wait and see. Now let's talk about a couple of new trailers that we did get this week. How about season two of Alex Rider? Remember that show on IMDb TV? We talked to the the members of the cast of the show, and it was actually really, really good spy series. Well, season two going to start on December the third on IMDb TV, and they dropped the first look at the trailer. And, and you know, Alex Rider thought he was done after the whole events. Of point blank, remember that he's like I. Ah, I get to have my normal life now, and eh, not so much because there, there's people being attacked and being hacked and stuff like that. So yeah, he looks like he's back in the spy game, but it also looks like he's not alone because it looks like Tom, his buddy Tom, is also going to be kind of a part of the team or at least helping him out. And of also, you've also got Jack, who's now his caretaker, his guardian, it seems like at this point, who's going to be involved as well. But also that voice to also try and keep him grounded. And oh, by the way, he's just going to be taking on a tech billionaire named Damian Cray, too, by the way, who's and there's this dangerous hacker known as Smoking Mirror, too, by the way, that's going to be going on. And this is all kind of, you know, intertwined into this video game. And this is also based on the book, by the way, Eagle Strike in the alex ryder series so if you're familiar with that book that's what this season is going to be based on but again this is just a set of characters that works out really well alex ryder has that for lack of a better way of putting it particular set of skills that just works really really well within the genre and he's younger but he's really really sharp and he's he and tom have this really cool buddy relationship that really works in a team atmosphere, like almost like a Mission Impossible type team group or spy group, you always have to have that bond, and he and Tom have that. And how Jack factors into this, I think it'll be really cool as well. So I'm really stoked actually for season two of Alex Ryder when it comes to IMDb TV on December the third. Here's something I'm not so stoked for, and and even less so after seeing the trailer, and that's for Home Sweet Home Alone which is the Home Alone reboot coming to Disney Plus on November the 12th. I say reboot. It's actually based in the same universe because you see Buzz McAllister. That's right. Kevin's older brother is in this movie. Kevin is not, though. Macaulay Culkin said, I'm not involved with this. And you can kind of see why after seeing the trailer. But Buzz is actually a cop now. And you'd think that that would kind of, you know make this a lot shorter of a movie because Buzz has kind of seen this thing happen before now a couple of times, and he'd be able to cut to the chase a little bit faster. But it's the same gist, you know, mom accidentally leaves the kid home alone. You know, the the kid kind of annoys her a little bit, gets lost in the shuffle of the family trip, and gets left home alone. But again, I look at this and I say, I don't know how this, in a world of cell phones, I don't know how this is, a, how this is a problem. And I'm not talking just cell phones. I'm talking smartphones. This is a rich family, right? You'd think that they would have, you know, smart devices, you know, blink cameras and stuff set up all around the house and all this stuff, or, you know, the kid would have a phone or there'd be some sort of that. I need to know how this makes sense in a world with cell phones. Cause I'm not sure. And, and a bunch of technology because I'm not sure that it really can. You've got a man and a woman this time that are kind of playing the wet bandits type role, but they don't. It's like they're criminals, but they're not. Sort of things. So it's a little weird, and yeah, the you you see the traps that Kevin has and all the the things that he makes and he uses, and and maybe that's fun, and maybe that's just one of those things where you just got to shut your brain off and enjoy it. But the whole premise of this movie just seems awful to me. The presentation and the trailer just you're first of all, you're giving me nothing really new here from what I can see anyway. You're also not really you're not really adding any depth to this franchise at all. If you're gonna do a reboot, go all the way with it and find a way to somehow make this make sense, instead of just doing the same tired old act and changing some of the faces to make it work. I don't get why this has to be done. It would almost be more interesting if they just had Kevin McAllister being the dad in this situation and accidentally living his kid home alone, because how ironic would that be? Or like even a grandkid or something like that too. I realize maybe he's not old enough to play that role yet, but you under kind of understand what I'm saying. It would almost be more interesting if you did it that way. And I realize it'd be a stupid mistake for Kevin to make, but this whole thing is stupid anyway. You might as well lean into it all away and just go for it. But you know, having a completely different cast involved here, I understand it because you're you're kind of rebooting the franchise. But again, it doesn't feel like it works. And you know, like everything was convenient in the first Home Alone movie, and the time that it was in just made sense. You've got no cell phones. You've got landlines that do, did, by the way, boys and girls, go down back in the day. When those lines came down, that was kind of it, right? So there was no way to reach the kid. There was no way to know if he was okay. Everybody else was gone for the holidays. Everything went the way it was supposed to as far as things that could go wrong. And the lack of technology and devices that we have nowadays made that possible. Now, not so much. So I need to know how that's not... I mean, cell phones go down too. I get that. But there's a lot of bad stuff that would have to happen for these to even kind of make sense. So I'm not holding out hope that Home Sweet Home Alone is going to be a breath of fresh air for the holiday season. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, once again, thank you so much to the cast of Hightown for joining me this week. Make sure you're watching this weekend on Stars on Sunday. Don't forget dc fandom also this weekend i'll have a full recap of all the trailers and all the big news coming up on episode 390 next week find out more about us at down and nerdy and follow along on social media at down and nerdy 757 on twitter and instagram and at down and nerdy on facebook remember you never have to apologize for being a nerd so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds